Welcome to episode 88 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, We have lots of great things to get to in this episode, a great uh, interview, and Todd has a piece of news he wants to share too. Oh, it's uh, it's just something I ran across uh, online and an article uh, with our friends, um, our friend, uh, Dr. Mayhew, that we had on recently over at telehealth.org, and she had a a blog posting, an article about how Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Apple uh, are all doing different types of collaboration, some with each other, some with other um, groups and organizations or, or in corporations to deliver healthcare services. And so uh, Amazon is getting really big into it. They of course, have the Amazon Web Services that a lot of companies use, uh, hospitals, and so they are getting into more and more healthcare delivery. Um, they're talking about, you know, integrating with Apple and doing more work with Apple. And of course, Apple has, you know, the Apple Watches, and mm-hmm. Apple is talking about um, use, you know, how we can use our Apple Watch to monitor heart rate and it's a pedometer so you can count your steps but they have plans of doing so much more with that going forward uh, of even you know being able to track your blood sugar through your skin and so they're working on that technology so you you know people with who are diabetic don't have to you know stick their finger and get blood and do all that stuff and so it's it's just uh I think it's just sort of all going in that direction. You know, Google also has plans. They have Google Health, uh, and they're doing uh, collaboration with a group in Chicago called Common Spirit Health, and they're hoping to take what they're doing there as a model across the country. They have a collaboration with the Mayo Clinic, um, and so we're. I think we're just going to see more and more integration with these large technology companies that have a user base already. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to be able to market drugs and deliver, you know, healthcare. We already have Amazon getting into pharmaceuticals and being able to deliver your, your um, prescriptions to you and at your home and so they already have a user base, they have a delivery method. And so I think we're going to see more and more integration of, of these technology companies getting into healthcare, getting into providing direct services. So it's, it's kind of exciting because it's also going to just uh, mean that more and more people have, have access to services is how I see it. Uh, right. And, you know, hopefully, you know, in terms of protecting individual privacy things and, you know, HIPAA and all that stuff is going to be followed. But I think in the end, you know, more integration with technology that they're already producing to be able to provide healthcare. I mean, I think of Apple, for example, to be able to provide, you know, some type of care or, you know, because it detects that you have a heart rate and then 
that goes up or stops. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> And they send an ambulance, but you right. see, you know, they're, they're, they're doing commercials now about how the Apple watch saved lives in, in these people being interviewed yeah, on, yeah. on TV. Now, uh, yeah. some of their co- commercials. My, my husband used it to prove to me that his snoring is not sleep apnea because he has his Apple watch on telling him, you know, his heart rate and things like that and his breathing levels. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, this is kind of an aside, but I think related mm-hmm. is the, the overlap of like a consumer device and a health device too. Cause mm-hmm. I know, yeah, um, as I have lot young children, there's a, the owl sock. Have you heard of that before? That's, it's a little sock that babies can wear that can alert you if they stop oh, breathing. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's been on the market for a long time, but they recently pulled it off because the FDA was saying that it was a medical device and not a consumer device because it was giving this information. Oh, interesting. And that so they needed FDA approval to to use it. And it was it's it's a weird question that we I think at some point we'll have to answer. Where's where's the overlap mm. and where do we need to have, you know, the FDA's input on these devices if we are relying on them mm-hmm. to give mm-hmm. us that feedback as professionals. So it's it's interest all of that. The whole field is very interesting. It will be exciting to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the Apple Watch is is a very good example of that too. And it's just not designed as a watch and to integrate or to connect with your iPhone. But now it's providing more health related information to your providers or potential to do that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting how this goes forward. I, with my daughter, who's now 28 years old, uh, but when she was, born uh we had uh she had she was born prematurely and so when she came home from the hospital uh she would have bradycardias which you know her heart rate would go down and the way that was dealt with was that she was on this monitor and it would go off and it was extremely loud so in the middle of the night, when you're trying to sleep as parents, this thing goes off and scares the crap out of you. Right. And of course, it scares her and her heart rate jumps back up, you know, <laughs> make a sound. So um, so it, having a sock like that. Right. Uh, and it's wireless it and all of those things. Yeah. There's lots of people that I think used it, you know, with premature infants that were coming home and right. things like that. So it's. Yeah, it's it's a great device. I haven't seen an update on it, but I hope it's something that continues to be available. And you know, we it is a question at some point that we need to to answer for across um, the field and the industry of where that line is. It is, it is, and 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 as we see more and more integration of these companies and the technologies that they're producing, mm-hmm. um, we're going to have to have you know, those answers, uh, I think sooner rather than later. Yep. So it's going to yep. be interesting. Well, on the podcast today, we have Tammy Richmond, who is an occupational therapist. So um, it's um, loving this, you know, having more uh, OTs on the podcast, because I'm learning so much about occupational therapy that I didn't know before. But she has uh, a company uh, and a platform actually called Go to Care, and she's based out in California. And she's going to share more about uh, occupational therapy, and telepractice, and this platform that she has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Can you share more about your background in telepractice? Oh, absolutely. So my name is Tammy Richmond. I am here and headquartered in Los Angeles, California. I came out here from Wisconsin way back, oh gosh, middle 80s. Worked at UCLA, then went into private practice when managed care moved into the hospital systems. And then, interestingly, service served on several different committees, both at the California state level and at AOTA at the national level. And at one point in my practice, uh, just to note, I worked in adult phys dis at UCLA and then moved into private practice in sports medicine and phys dis. Uh, and also, um, went into concierge care. So I was one of those early models uh, able to take cash and did take cash for services when that was sort of an emerging idea when a lot of physicians moved out of the hospital systems and into private practice. Then back in 2007, an unfortunate event occurred. I had a very best colleague who was working in hand therapy. Her and her husband were killed head on in a car accident. They left behind kids and very successful hand clinics. And so I decided to go ahead and take those over and manage them so we could decide what to do with them at some point for the family. Um, And it was during that time when I was managing where I first heard the word telemedicine. And that was 2007 or Mm 8. And when I heard that word in a meeting with one of the hospitals in Santa Barbara, And they were talking about it in relationship to remote care. Um, I thought, oh, my gosh, what what does this mean, right? What is telemedicine? There's actual word to using your beepers or back then we had Blackberries, right? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you know, I use my phone to call up people, right? And I was it was just the beginning of using technology uh, and Google and all those things were all brand new, believe it or not, right? So we were looking up things online. But the idea of connecting to our patient and then had a meaningful and purposeful uh, a way of, of interacting was a brand new thought. So I immediately looked it up uh, on the computer and realized that there was an association called the American Telemedicine Association. So I immediately joined and I started hunting down other colleagues like myself. And to your honor, the, the therapists I ran to first were speech language pathologists and audiologists who had already been using technology to reach kids. And I had no idea. And, Pretty neat. Yeah, you know, there was just a, you know, a handful back in those days. Uh, but our main organization, major organization, ASHA, um, I think was they endorsed it in like 2002 as being an appropriate delivery model for SLPs and audiologists. And so that was 2002. So but even when, again, just a handful of people around the country were really doing it well. 
Yeah, it's true. And you know, at AOTA, the American Occupational Therapy Association, they had a position paper, and I believe the first one came out in 2005 mm -hmm. or shortly thereafter. And so when I got involved, one of the first OTs I ran into was Janet Kaysen out of Kentucky. Yes. And she was doing early intervention mm -hmm. uh, in PEDS and telehealth. And her and I became fast best friends, and we got to work. She was already involved at ATA. Um, mm -hmm. I enjoyed meeting folks like you at ATA. There was a couple of physical therapists at the time. And uh, as we began to look around the room, uh, certainly at my first conference, um, we recognized that there, there's a lot of possibility here. And when we met with physician groups and the early mm -hmm. network groups like UC Davis out here in California, they were already providing care to prisons and other rural areas. Mm -hmm. um, we met with them as a collective tele-rehab uh, special interest group and said, gosh, where are our first steps? And they said, hey, you need, you need standards of care, right? You need right. official documents. So you had one, we had one. Physical therapy had a position paper, but they really need to be rewritten. Mm -hmm. And actually the word telemedicine around that time in 2009-010 became telehealth. Mm -hmm. You may remember that, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so we realized that it was addressing not only clinical care, but other parts of care, education, monitoring, supervision. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I got on the bandwagon. I threw myself into it. I helped write the early papers. Uh, I rewrote the co-author, the uh, uh, AOTA telehealth position paper again. And from there on, wrote several things with Jan and other colleagues, reached out, worked with folks in your area and PTs, so we could begin to um, come to the table with these physicians and hospital systems and the military health system, who, who mm -hmm. was doing the most, right. really start talking about what this could look like for us. It was exciting. I remember my first conference, just Humvees. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> the military were demonstrating, right, all those great things they were doing to help our fallen service people in the field. It was amazing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And of course, they had the money to throw at it, you know, <laughs> to, yes. to, to develop some really good stuff. But they, you know, it was all, it was a closed system, you know, and, and it was hard for everyone else to kind of get access unless you had a major institution behind you. Um, but yeah, it was a, a great time, uh, sort of going from the Wild West, trying to get things going, and then you know seeing it all start to to gel and come together, and kind of in, sort of launch a new whole way of doing things, a whole way of sort of seeing the world and seeing your patients that you're working with. Yes, exactly. And so what I decided to do is after we got to work writing the support documentation is I thought I really need to do more of this, try this mm -hmm. out myself. And so, you know, I sat there in my practice where I work in upper extremity sports medicine injuries, orthopedic injuries, uh, and neurological dysfunction, aging in place. I had quite a, a menu of populations to pick from. So I decided to do my first 12-week study in TBI. Because I oh, thought that's okay. the, every every person I met said, there's no way, number one, you guys are a hands-on profession, right? <laughs> there's no way you can see your patients without touching them. I thought to myself, you know, that's a valid point. So what would it be one way, you know, I could demonstrate I don't have to touch my my patient necessarily? Well, I picked a tough one, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> a traumatic brain injury in remote Alabama. 
oh, and, wow. uh, that came to me. Uh, and so I did a 12-week study. I used the only platform available then to most groups. Uh, and during my 12-week study, uh, I got I was granted permission from the insurance company in Alabama. And mm -hmm. I got licensed in Alabama so I could provide wow. services as what was required. And during this 12-week study with a young woman who had an aneurysm, uh, mm. we began to, I began to figure out what we could do and not do and do well and not do well online. And that was my first introduction of, for myself, really hands-on getting in there and, uh, and exploring the, the practice clinical applications of using technology. Wow. Wow. And so, and so I'm just curious, what were the outcomes that you saw there with yeah. this patient? You know, I think several things I learned right off the bat that mm -hmm. not everybody has the same thing that we learned today during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. The skills around the use of technology uh, is all over the map. So some people right. feel comfortable with their iPad. Some people feel comfortable with their phone. Some people mm -hmm. know how to hook their, their laptop into, the, into their big high definition TV. And right. so we had to spend some time just understanding how we were going to connect and just practice the connection. In this mm -hmm. case, the husband was able to connect his laptop to their big screen TV, wow. which allowed me to have a really good look at her uh, in her living room. The mm -hmm. second rule that applied that I was told uh, by physician groups was that it was a six foot rule. I don't know if you guys have this in telepractice, but the patient needs to be six feet in back of the camera if you want to see their whole body and have this quality of care. So we had enough room. Interesting. I think then, yeah, right. The thing, the next we're, thing. We're I, used to very close up to the face, right. the way oh, that we right, work usually. Right, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, now the six foot rule means something completely different, different right? Different, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot, yes. You know, right? So you need the up close. We need to come back because yeah. mm -hmm. she had some ataxia and tremoring and, and all this, all sorts of dysfunction that without being there, I'd have to sort out. The next important thing I learned is I can't see sometimes in certain populations, I need a, what we call an e-helper. I need another person in the right. room in the session. They have to be my arms and my hands and sometimes my eyes and my ears. Mm -hmm. yep. And so the husband was there during all the sessions. And I'll tell you the, you know, I surveyed both of them at the end and it was the husband who clearly felt that the benefit was in his, most benefit was in his corner. He thoroughly enjoyed being a part of the uh, sessions because the carryover, right? The translation right. and transfer of our skill building in the session was able to be carried out in the home so much easier because I had to coach him to be me in a sense, mm -hmm. right? My extender uh, to work with her. And so at the end of 12 weeks, she didn't think she got that much better uh, as far as physical changes in her traumatic brain injury, which left her with a lot of ataxia. Um, she was a partial walker. Uh, she still needed care with ADLs. It was a short, a very short term to 12 weeks with someone with, with this complicated TBI. Um, but we realized that the coaching through ADLs and the coaching through the home exercise program and the, the ability to look around the house, we moved, we moved to an iPad and I did a home modification session to help them remodel the bathroom and the bedroom mm -hmm. and make those sort of uh, recommendations was just really valuable. And I realized we kind of can do a little bit of everything. 
I do think it's not for everybody. I do think you have to really be good at communicating and coaching uh, Mm -hmm. through a session. Um, And, you know, I think in her words, you know, she felt great about it, but I think she also had the, she also had a physical therapist coming to the home and a speech language pathologist. And she also liked those in-person visits. So right. for her, it was sort of a 50, 50, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a good, you know, ended up being um, reading sort of what you're saying here is it ended up being a good mix of services that met her needs. Yeah, it was a really good mix. From there, we, uh, you know, I began to talk about it. We went back into our collective colleague groups. Uh, I was still involved at ATA. I became, mm-hmm. went from vice chair to chair of the, um, at the American Telemedicine Tele-Rehab Group. Um, went back to AOTA. We put together advisory groups. We began to write additional documents on, on you know, sort of, I don't know, best standards of care or clinical practice models. On, and I began to talk about it any and every opportunity I could and share those videos, share those mm-hmm. moments to encourage just the trying out of it, right? It was so new right. back in 2010, <laughs> 2011, right. 2012. You're kind of begging people, try this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem is, you know, payment, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I talked to Blue Cross there in Alabama, they agreed to payment. And that's where we were at way wow. back when, right? Mm-hmm. You had it was kind of a one-on-one conversation with the payer. Uh, even here in the state of California, we're a parity state, which means mm-hmm. you do get paid for services and practice. And um, it is still difficult until we hit COVID nineteen. It was still a hit or miss on payment. So it's hard to encourage providers if they don't know they're going to get paid. Right. That's Very a big true. barrier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about the pandemic, what was it like to kind of be someone who was already, you know, uh, was doing it before it was cool and to watch <laughs> the things that came, kind of came out of the pandemic? What what was that like for you? You know, should I be transparent about this? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got my extreme thrill about uh you know, kind of saying, you know, I told you so, right? In a sense <laughs> mm-hmm. that we realized, I'm sure you did too, that one of the points of benefit was just having access to your patients, regardless if they were near or far, but having access to them when they needed it for the services that we could conduct online. Um, so I was ready and prepared. You know, I was really fortunate that way. And I got really, really busy too. Mm-hmm. I was already busy. <laughs> But I got more busy because folks and my colleagues turned to me to help train them and teach them and and transfer their practices from in-person to online. And I always enjoy, you know, doing that, you know, offering consultation services. Um, And in between, when I first started, I built a platform. So GoToCare is a a full HIPAA compliant platform. Uh, And uh, I decided to build one myself with a tech team because I was using physician mainly physician platforms. So the software mm-hmm. algorithms don't really line up with rehab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I decided on my own uh, that I wanted to build something that would satisfy the kind of questions that we ask in rehab, right? The whole person, the whole person questions, right. the occupational right. role questions. So I built that platform 
2016, 2015-16, we launched it in 2017. So you were asking me about COVID-19. So January mm-hmm. of 2020, I forget time goes by now so fast. We had just finished a two-year pilot study with steel manufacturing companies in Minnesota on mm-hmm. using the platform solution. Uh, we called it IP25 because uh, it was in beta to see employees uh, with muscle skeletal dysfunctions off the floor of their plant uh, in the wow. in a telehealth room. And so mm-hmm. we had just finished that study. I was so excited. I had great numbers and I was going to spend that year going around all the medical conferences talking about it. And then the virus appeared. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was ready. I helped other people right. get ready. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of time speaking to folks like you, uh, just helping our colleagues around the country kind of figure out what to do and how to do it. Sure. Yeah. So what are some of the features that you guys focus on and set you apart from some of the other platforms out there? Yeah, good question. Um, we're a full service platform, so we can, you know, we're also a little bit different than Uh, other people in private practice. So we have two solutions. We have the concierge solution, which is my my practice, where we see people a cash payment only. And so our ability to do different types of services is quite expansive, where we're not not, uh, held to what's paid for. Uh, It's more of a consumer-driven patient engagement platform. So we built Mm -hmm. in protocols, um, uh, an exercise program, equipment, recommendations, uh, all of that. Uh, We also built, we went through revision in 2017, 2018 to move into machine learning. So I built an algorithm um, element to it called the IRAP. And what it does is it, it asks the consumer several questions. And depending if you ask, your answer is yes or no, it drives you to another question. And the purpose of this was to take away some of that triaging that we do and takes up some of our time in the beginning of a visit. So by the end of this triaging moment, they get to the right professional, which could be an OT or a PT or a exercise physiologist. Um, And the system also tells me how much time they would need with somebody. The system also tells me whether or not they're even appropriate. So some people with mm. something more complicated probably should not be seen by me on online. They should be sent and directed to their, you know, local OTPT. Uh, and then it also let us know the top three reasons why someone comes to the therapy moment. So sort of an urgent care model. Mm-hmm. So by the time they get our system points them to the matching professional. We have a lot of information about them already. And I think that's where we're going to be going with telehealth. It's here to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, the Supreme Court again ruled for the third time the Affordable Care Act is here. That included great initiatives to keep technology in the game. Uh, and so I think we're back to looking at our standards of care and what's quality and what are those quality metrics um, and how do we get the right kind of services to the right kind of people at the right time and what do those services look like? Um, so we built this machine learning algorithm to help determine, you know, the best patient with the best service. Um, and that's probably what's different from us than a few other people. Yeah, um, I like that that concept. It's almost like a a smart um, intake form or something like that. That's right. learning mm-hmm. what questions to ask. I love that idea. 
And I think as we move forward, you know, although we need insurance companies to pay us, we do know that people will pay for services just to figure out where to go next. Right. And that triaging piece um, ends up being very valuable because we allow the consumer to identify their needs before we get involved with our agenda. Right. So even in my own practice, if I'm seeing a patient, I usually always say, hey, you know, Mrs. Smith, how are you feeling today? And what would you like to work on today? Last time, we, you know, we summarize and then we move forward. I think when we put the patient in control or part of our team of health and wellness, that they, they mm-hmm. see the value of being online. They mm-hmm. begin to see the value of being able to talk freely and have that relationship they can have with us in person. And they're feeling more comfortable if they're maybe connecting from home and they're not in a clinical setting. You know, yeah, I, I certainly that's what we see for sure. Right. The home. I mean, our professions are built upon the same concept, right? The best place to treat a person or in, enhance their recovery and their wellness is in their home or in their workplace or in their school. It's where they mm-hmm. engage every day. When you come into a clinical setting, it's you know, there's four walls and we can control the setup and the takedown. And you know, you know, I know when I was seeing patients in person, they would leave and then they'd call or email me and say, you know what? I forgot what that (laughs) exercise looks like. I forgot what you told me to do. Yeah. So the nice thing on when I'm online, if I want to, I can like us record something. I'll say, Hey, would you like me to record this and then send it to you so we can Mm -hmm. have some follow-up? So it just allows all different types of engagement to take take place at the same time, I think. I agree. I agree. And so does the platform allow for other professions? I mean, is it specifically for OT and PT or does it go into speech and other areas or is it just for those two? Right now, it's just for those two. Mm -hmm. So although when you build a platform... It's like building a mall. So you build the basement and I'm only repeating what the tech team tells me (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a little different language they use, but basically basically you're building the foundation of a mall and then you can begin to add all these solutions Mm -hmm. on top of it. We have Mm -hmm. two solutions, but it's made to hold as many solutions as we decide to build or if I had a partnership, what if, if something like someone like yourself came and you had a particular population, we could build a software type of solution on, on this foundation and ask the yeah. system because it shares pages and blanks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. functions, functionality. Yeah. Uh, I would see there's so much overlap between the professions and, and how a system like that could be structured where you could serve speech pathology as well. Well, and, you know, I think looking at where we're going, um, certainly, I was just looking at some st- um, some statistics that have come out the last couple of months, and you know where were all those visits that happened during COVID? And you know, for us, we saw a lot of behavioral health, school based mm-hmm. health. You know, the top reason people went online was because they had upper respiratory issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that huge increase in televisits now kind of whittle itself down to 32%, which I think is where it's going to kind of sit for a while. Mm -hmm. So then I think our goal as allied health professionals is to look at where are those areas of specialty practices that we can begin to move forward in? You know, once we threw the whole kitchen sink at everybody, we pull back and go, well, maybe just this dish, right? Maybe it's just about chronic disease management, or maybe it's just about Tourette's, or maybe it's just Mm -hmm. about, you know, home modifications. We have to begin to sort of step back and go, what, what worked well, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I yeah, think. and I and I think there are some things that are like uniquely paired to work well with telepractice, even thinking about like something like a, the concierge care, where it's someone that's looking for something very specific from a provider and, you know, is willing to pay out of pocket for that or do what they need to to get the, that service that's just fits so well with someone who, you know, maybe has a sp- a specific area that they're working in that there's not a lot of professionals in that specific area. So I think those two can pair well together. Yeah, I think the same gaps or barriers we had prior to, the, to COVID-19 are probably still there, right? So access to specialty care or specialty services is number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. I, we still have a provider shortage everywhere. Right. Um, and so people who I grew up in Wisconsin. So and I think you're from Ohio. Right. So people who lived in rural areas, I know if we needed to go to a major hospital, that would have been Madison. That was over an hour away. Yep. And right. so having access to someone other than the, you know, the general practitioner in your hometown was was so important to keeping people well. Right. I also think we realized that by having this point of access on a more regular basis, kind of like monitoring that we can keep people out of the hospital system, mm-hmm. right? We can keep them well at home. Uh, so in concierge care, I find that the value is that, that my patients don't have to come to me eight times in a row. They come to me when they have a need. I may identify they need to see me two or three times. They go home. I say, you know what, let's try this for a couple of weeks. I'll be in touch with you. If it's not working, let's see you again. And we'll try a different strategy or modification or a different treatment, right? So without having the payment issue, I'm so fortunate. I get to really be a part of someone's life over the of the kind of their lifespan of keeping mm-hmm. them well and in their home or in their workplace. That's the beauty of the concierge care. Yeah, exactly. So where do you see uh, go-to care going going forward? I mean, where where do you want to go with the with the technology, with the platform? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've been sort of standing still, catching my breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, I'm still involved in several committees. So I've always been heavily involved in policy. So mm-hmm. I want to just share with you before I, I turn my attention back to the machine learning on go to care, because I think algorithms are so important to triaging on where mm-hmm. we go and picking those diagnoses that would do well. I think we need the uh, our federal government to pass a few Medicare, I mean, telehealth policies, right? Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, once they end this public health emergency, our ability to just treat across any hardware on any software anywhere mm-hmm. in America is going to go away. Right. So my attention really as go to care is to leverage my experience, not only as a platform, but as a service company to share my stories uh, to share my uh, energy and trying to help pass policy, both state and federal. Um, I just joined the American Col- uh, Congress of Rehab Medicine. I'm on a new uh, telehealth task force there. It's began to continue to educate providers because the one barrier we had prior to the COVID is still the same one. Some providers just don't get it or they don't feel comfortable or they don't know how to make it really work. So they went back to hands-on treatment now but how do they live in this hybrid model, right? How do, how do I decide when I can see someone online versus see them in person? Mm-hmm. So I'm spending a lot of effort really in more consultation education with my colleagues and through uh, organizations 
to my platform, however, I think I'd like to, I'd probably build another solution. Um, I think we, I, I'm interested in looking at uh, what, again, what populations are we going to see uh, the most value in serving uh, at home? And it would make sense with chronic disease management, aging in place, uh, mental health issues, uh, wellness, uh, that perhaps there isn't one or two other specific solutions that we could build out for that. It sounds exciting. And just taking a step back and looking at uh, occupational therapy at the moment, where do you see the field moving in terms of telehealth and telepractice? Yes, good question. Well, for all those working in pediatrics, um, I think um, I applaud them from starting early. I applaud them for, for providing the services we they do. Um, and I think we're going to see OTs feel very comfortable in continuing to provide services um, and even interstate services uh, in pediatrics, as we all have compact uh, both speech, PT and OT, heading forward. Um, so that's here to stay. I think I'd like to look, look to our um, VA military services. They were completely online. They had some great services and programs they put out. I would like to kind of mimic some of those into the private sector. I think we'll continue to see OTs feel very comfortable in support services, like support groups for cancer survivors, support groups in diabetes management, support groups in mental health issues and behavioral issues. Um, in my area of physical disability, uh, adult phys disc, I think it's, uh, and, and that's mainly private practice OT, I think there's still more hesitancy on completely jumping on board uh, moving into telehealth until mm -hmm. we find out whether or not we can permanently be on that Medicare provider list, right. that we will get paid for what we're doing unless you work in concierge care. Mm -hmm. I do see that OTs like myself who work in upper extremity or lower extremity um, sports medicine or muscle skull dysfunction are going to continue to do that well. So we'll stay there too. Um, that's an easy fit. I think we found out it works well. Um, and so I think that's going to continue too. And I think there's just a piece on chronic aging in place. I think we have to tackle the fact that in, by 2030, the majority of people will be aging at home. And so mm -hmm. how do we create that, you know, that hospital at home? that medicine, mm -hmm. the medical home, I guess. Right. Right. And where are we at with all that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the generation that will be in that aging at home will be one that is more comfortable with technology and will want the technology, I think, to help them do that. So that's a different way to look at it too. It's going to be you know, all of us that have had iPhones and iPads for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, that comfort level is becoming there. Yeah. I think I have, a, I have a 15 year old daughter, so they do everything with technology. So right. it'll be an interesting mm -hmm. transition. I think we have some immediate needs. And then if you ask me, where do we look, what do we look like in 15 years, 10 years? We'll see this generation of kids who would prefer to do everything online completely be honestly comfortable with seeing everybody mm -hmm. online, right? Right, right. Um, so a lot of my younger um, clients have no problem jumping on with me at CVS to help them find a the right kind of wrist splint, you know, or ankle <laughs> splint or whatever yeah, that sure. is, right? Yeah. So it'll, it'll be taking care of these people who will move into aging at home to this young generation who don't care if they live in a house. They're on the go. <laughs> they're global. They're on a mm -hmm. device. 
And I think we'll go through another transformation then. And I'm really excited about that. I think we'll have to do our job much better, but it'll be an Mm -hmm. exciting time. It will be. It will be. I think the the future is looking good for telehealth and telepractice for for allied health and and telemedicine as well for other providers. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, I belonged. I, I joined another group just looking at artificial intelligence and oh yeah, how how do we begin to use virtual reality and mm-hmm. gaming and all these other digital health tools? So I didn't. I did want to leave you with the fact that it's not just about jumping on and seeing each other on video. There is this whole plethora coming of healthcare health tools. Right. I just bought a smart scale for myself and this Mm -hmm. smart scale is going to serve a little bit of accountability and give me more metrics. Uh, And so I think we're going to see our professions needing to integrate these new digital health tools at a Mm -hmm. very fast rate. And what is their value? Um, And that leads to understanding how we see people. Is it synchronous, like real time, you and I, or is it Mm -hmm. audio only? Or is it this asynchronous piece where the apps and data are being gathered and they tell us something about our patient that's so important to their outcomes? Right, right. Yeah, we we had my um, sister on who's actually a physical therapist, and she was talking about, you know, utilizing some of the consumer technology that's out there, like the workout mirrors that they have. And can we figure out how to use those as, you know, and getting feedback from those devices and things like that so we can uh, use that more in the medicine side? I think that's just like such an interesting way that uh, er the field could move forward. Oh, exactly. Right. I mean, we have to look to what these huge companies are putting together in tech. It's going to continue to grow. So, and that's really the interest of the physical therapists that I work with. This idea has always been about avatar exercising, all Mm -hmm. different uses. In the beginning, we called them avatars. Now it's the mirrors, they're images of you. You're working against or with real people in real time in a real Peloton class versus (laughs) stored (laughs) video instruction. Uh, so there is going to be this really interesting moment of this um, transfer of how we work as healthcare licensed professionals with this consumer market of healthcare-based tools. Right. And you know, I I use them too. I I don't I don't use the data as much as I'll use an app or those kind of tools to emphasize a home exercise program or to like for instance gather a pain level because mm-hmm. uh, I teach a lot of people how to use their pain level to gear their um, movement for the day or their exercise or their life for the day. So it's a lot of extra learning, but yes, right. There's so much coming at us and how do we use it and what's its value to the therapeutic moment. Mm-hmm. Right. There's technology. I mean, everything is smart. <laughs> Every product we have is there's, you know, connected to the smart home, which could be, related to healthcare or monitoring some aspect of, of our health and then having it go back to our providers. We're just moving and leave, living in a whole different world, moving into a whole different world. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where the patient stories come in. I think that's why you're hearing so much about patient engagement. Like what is the value? Mm -hmm. And we're being asked as occupational therapists to come forward to our national associations and the other organizations I belong to, to not only share the stories, but begin to do the research. So at ACRM, Mm -hmm. we have 
the focus of that organization is on research. Um, so I do see a lot of students and educational programs in PTOTN, SLP, beginning to focus their students to do research in the area mm -hmm. of telehealth. What is the engagement piece? What kind of evaluations and assessments can we do that give us similar outcomes that can be used both in person and online um, to intervention type to, you know, what do we do with remote patient monitoring um, in, in using those digital pieces? So I believe we're, we're going to, the, the, the immediate needs this next couple of years is to gather more research, take the data that we can have learned from this COVID-19 pandemic, begin to bring those together and go, how do we write those good best standards of practice? How do we integrate this uh, into a meaningful and engaging way uh, and have those outcomes and then get paid for it? So um, <laughs> there's a lot of busy work to do, right? There is a lot more yep. work to do and getting paid for it would be very nice. <laughs> uh, I'm also but, interested just, you know, I don't know if you've heard or if you've had guests on, but, you know, just the international piece. We weren't the mm -hmm. only country who... Right was shut down. So I'm really curious too to to get out there and hear from other parts of the world on where where are our 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 allied health rehab professionals and how did they how did they manage care online and where did it work? Right. Yeah. I mean I've I've heard some good things from Canada and from Australia and um, some of those countries. But I'm sure there are other many, many other countries that have had some successes as well. Yes, I would like to hear more about that. You know, again, in some areas it makes sense and others, you know, it, it's harder to do. And, um, yeah, and then what the infrastructure the there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the infrastructure, the business model. And then I think at the end of the day, isn't it what the consumer choice is supposed to be about? I mean, I don't know. I you know we hear about consumers choosing their health care. So, right. I, I'm trying to wrap my arms around what does that mean? You know, what what yeah. what what will consumers decide they want to get involved in? Because as it is now, right? I mean, I belong to Blue Shield. If I wanted to go online, I would go to Teladoc. So we have mm -hmm. the choices. So right. I'm just wondering who educates the consumer about how to make that choice for themselves. Right. That's a great question. Because if they don't know about it, they can't choose it. Right. So that's the problem. And the other thing is, too, I have clients now, especially during the pandemic, more than ever, who will come to me online and say, I, I went on to Google and I looked this up. And so mm -hmm. this is what I think I have. They've become, they've become mm -hmm. very... WebMD um, told me. Right. <laughs> I'm just coming to you for a confirmation of my WebMD search. Right. The last two years, the consumer has been has been doing everything online. I, I, mm -hmm. I yes. really was an anti-Amazon person. Now, every day they knock at my door. So the consumer mm -hmm. has learned to go online for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And right. so now what I find is really interesting... Uh, even for me, the seasoned telehealth professional is that I will have almost everyone will say I was online looking this up at Google and this mm -hmm. is what they shared with me. And so then it asked the other question, you know, are consumers going to choose to go to Google or the Internet to get simple questions asked? Or like what we were talking about, can we begin to build such mm -hmm. simple tools with these algorithms that they could just run themselves through an algorithm and then get an answer? Should I really be calling Tammy mm -hmm. 
or can I just, you know, eat well? Right. Well, I, <laughs> I do know that, that Amazon is moving into healthcare with some of their services and they've bought a couple of companies, local companies at different states. And so I think they're slowly, eat, you know, they're, they have this great customer base, right? So those customers need healthcare. So they have the platform. They're going to, you know, I think they'll be moving into healthcare. You know, CVS is uh, is moving into, you know, healthcare, delivering more services. So I think we're going to see more integration with some of these large companies, Google as well. And, uh, and, and developing, they'll have products or services delivered through, you know, their Amazon website or some, uh, you know, affiliate website, but I think it's coming. Yeah, I think it's here. You're right. And more is coming. I think when we call that retail medicine, right? So Mm -hmm. all the retail companies have gotten into parts of healthcare Mm -hmm. that they either felt they were gaps in, or they could like Amazon can send your Mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals for the, Mm -hmm. you know, for the week or the month. Right. Um, And so interesting enough, that brings me to a moment I had, I was brought into as a guest lecturer into a classroom in Florida. And the question was, and or around the concept of what, what do we bring to the table as licensed professionals that is more valuable than a consumer, like you're saying, going to CBS or, or mm-hmm. going somewhere else, going to the personal trainer, going to the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Going to all these other digital tools, you know, and I thought that was such an amazing uh, question to ask because what is it that we do so well that we need to stay in the game, that we can say to our consumer, this is what where the value is when you see me, that you're not going to get when you walk into CVS, or you're not going to mm-hmm. get through Amazon, or you're, you know what I mean? So I, I think that's a really interesting talking point. Um, I mean, I know the answer, of course, but, you know, it's critical reasoning, right? We bring to the table the ability to sort out lots of information and use our critical thinking to put together forth a plan of care. But how do we explain right. the value of that? I agree 100%. And I think I think it's in this period of time where we've sort of uh, have this uh, democratization of of so much in a sense that, I mean, take take lyft and uber i mean before we would you know call a taxi now we can control that ourselves on our smartphone and have someone come pick us up and so we are making the choice of when that person's going to come and arrive and and when i want it um versus and we see that across in that we can like you're saying, doing sh- we can shop. We can shop at Amazon. We can we can pick on it. And some in some areas of the country could be delivered to you the same day, and you know before noon sometimes. You know, we have you know locally here in Ohio, uh, one of the major companies will will bring you uh, your groceries and bring them in the house and put them away for you. Wow. So if you you know you can sign up and have that done. You know, and so it's this, it's, it's, it is in one sense, giving the consumer more power mm-hmm. to make those choices, which I think ultimately is good. At the same time, when we get to healthcare, you need the professional to, who's had the training to provide the appropriate diagnosis and the appropriate treatment. And so I think, 
I think there we see a lot of consumers doing this on their own in these other areas, and they think, well, why can't I just go online and diagnose myself and and do my own exercises, watch some videos on YouTube of someone who's had the similar thing, or read some post on you know Facebook and and try to do the own their own exercises, right? You know, I don't need to go through that person uh, or to that professional. And so I think I think um, we're going to have to see that pendulum swing back in, in the area of healthcare and and like you're saying, communicate the value that the professionals have in working with us instead of doing it on your own. Yeah, is exactly. And you know, depending on what happens at the end of this year, so I think. President Biden will probably keep the public health emergency in place until the end of this year, depending Mm -hmm. what that looks like and what restrictions remain removed, uh, what waivers we get to keep, I think will help shape some of this conversation we're having today, right? So either the provider will feel more comfortable moving forward in some sort of a service model and business model. Um, I certainly am keeping my eyes open for these consumer retail, healthcare retail um, mm-hmm. business models to see how well they're working. What pieces should we be looking at as a profession as a whole? You know, where we where the consumer is is looking up their own answers, but maybe, you know, spending a lot of resources of time and money and not getting, you know, the great treatment plan they need. So mm-hmm. it's just going to be such an interesting year. I'm so glad we're <laughs> talking about it today. I think sure. it raises more questions than necessarily answers it. But I, I think where we are where you are in telepractice, telehealth and OT and PT is we're moving forward. We know it's here to stay. We have to sort of reflect upon the last couple of years, understand what worked well, be willing to put the research and the evidence behind uh, that, um, and move forward with a very confident plan of the value of the patient engagement. So we have a clear messaging going out to the consumers. I couldn't agree more. Yep. You've summed it up nicely. That- well, <sighs> I think Tammy, it's it's time for our the most important aspect of our of our episode. And it's called our it's called our moment of Zen. And so, if you've seen on other shows on TV the Proust uh, questionnaire, and so we have a list of questions that we just want you to quickly answer, or oh. you can you can have short answer or long answer. You can elaborate any way you want. Okay, so it's okay. totally. Uh, no rules, except you have to answer the question. So first, first question is what was the last app used or the most used app on your phone? Heart rate. Heart rate. Oh, okay. Um, what was the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Uh, Emily in Paris season two. Ah, it's a, it's a cute show. I like it. I've seen a couple of episodes. I love the fashion. Fashion is great, and and then and the scenery around the city. We, we wish uh, we were there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, what's a favorite book? Oh shoot! Um, I was just reading Clara and the Sun, so I'm guessing I'm going to say that one. It's a book that came out last year, and I really enjoyed the idea. It's a, it has technology, a technology assistant, a robot who has a relationship, yeah, with a young girl. Yes, it was very good. Awesome. Um, If you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? 
wow, one law or behavior that everyone had to do. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Um, I don't, nothing comes to me really except to say thank you and I'm sorry. That would solve a lot of problems, right? <laughs> um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Uh, Michelle Obama, oh, who is she's, alive. She's, <laughs> she's, a, she's a popular one. We've had her uh, that answer before. Uh, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way that you want. Oh, I'm afraid of heights. And so when the uh, amusement parks began to open up here in California, Los Angeles in the fall, I volunteered to take my daughter and a few of her friends to Six Flags of America up here near us. Mm -hmm. And I decided to get on that tallest, most dangerous looking roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And um, I managed to get through that. But that's, I, I was really, I won't be doing that again. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be joining you I didn't you change on that my one. mind. <laughs> Well, uh, number one answer from previous guests, having children is the scariest thing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. no. That has come up often. Um, what's, uh, or where is the most exotic or the farthest place you've been? Well, you know, I was heading up medical services for the 1988 Seoul Olympic Games. Oh, wow. Um, that was That's pretty nice. far away. That was pretty yeah. neat. I was pretty young, and that was an incredible moment in my life. I that's that sounds like a sort of chance of a lifetime to do something yes, like that. It was. Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Oh, you know what? I love the arts. So I think. Well, of course, this is now in the digital framework. I would love mm -hmm. graphic arts, art design. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. love the creative piece, which is probably why some people go into OT too. Mm -hmm. so. And, and to also for you, speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to tell you that every time we talk to an OT, I hear something else that I'm like, I didn't know you guys did that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning more about the profession every time. <laughs> well, you know, when I went to school in the eighties, which dates me, so we should probably, you know, not, <laughs> not share that, but um, we had to take a whole, year of uh, art we had to learn woodworking and clay and you oh, know that was, that's when they used to say ot's do underwater basket weaving that was the joke but, <laughs> but it did uh we all sort of get to be very creative uh in right. ot well slps love their laminators because they're always making, <laughs> <laughs> making materials to laminate i like those too or, i like or, or buying and... toys <laughs> yeah yeah um let's see what is a pet peeve that you have oh wow that can say out loud um hmm my pet peeve Oh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Uh, I suppose right now getting in places where people aren't wearing their masks. So good one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I share that. Uh, last question. This goes back to the original Proust questionnaire. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Wow. 
Well, I hope I hope he tells me that he uh, he didn't waste any time on me because I, I lay it all out every day. So Good. I hope the message was, you know, I'm glad you got around to doing all the things I wanted you to do. Awesome. That is great. Well, Tammy, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And please, can you uh, maybe share where people can get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. It was really fun. And to meet fellow colleagues in the speech language pathology field is always really fun for me. So you can reach me easily at uh, my website is www.gotocare, the number two care.com. Or you feel free to find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, Tammy at gotocare.com. T-A-M-M-Y at gotocare.com is my email. I am readily accessible. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for your focus today. Thank you, Tammy, for joining us on this episode. Every time I speak to an occupational therapist, I'm learning more and more about that profession and, and how occupational therapists are using telepractice to deliver their services. And Tammy was able to give us a lot of historical information about how the field has evolved over time. And so I'm, I'm just thrilled to learn more and more about how we can collaborate with occupational therapy. And thank you for joining us on the, this episode of Telepractice Today. We want you to rate and review, subscribe and follow on whichever podcatcher you are using to listen to this episode, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google. It doesn't matter. Please leave us a review. Subscribe. Do all those things for us. Also, just wanted to mention that Amy Graham, one of those just excellent, brilliant clinicians who you've probably heard of, who's an expert on speech sound disorders, well, Amy has just released a new webinar on the 3C Digital Media Network platform. So if you're working with any children with speech sound disorders, go check out the webinar that Amy just released with us. And with that, We'll be in touch with you again next week with another episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.